if these shows are sort of this feminine id fantasy, right? That's what a girl boss show is. It's a mm-hmm. heteronormative, cisgender id fantasy. If like what success means and what that fantasy could be or what it looks like is changing so much right now, like where do we go from here? Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Brittany. And this is For Colored Nerds. The weekly show where we peel back the layers of Black culture that we rarely discuss in mixed company. So this week, we're talking about the resurgence of the girl boss in the city show. So namely, the originator of the entire genre, Sex in the City, or it's more contemporary reboot and just like that. But the reboot is coming at the same time as two other girl boss shows featuring all Black casts, Harlem and Run the World. Not to mention Insecure, 20s, First Wives Club, and even Master of None Season 3. So as you can probably guess, Brittany has watched all these shows. But we would be lying if we didn't acknowledge they all seem to follow the same Sex in the City format. And today, we're uncovering if that's actually a good thing for us in the long run. You should stay tuned. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you said you wanted to talk about this, initially, I won't lie, I was a little hesitant. I've only recently, I think, come to this genre and like, you actually had to, I think, kind of help me define it. Like I yeah. knew, I think, a few of the things, but I hadn't necessarily thought about how to connect them. Can you help me define it a little more, like clearly, yes, or maybe some yes, show? Yes, yes, yes. Even though girl boss is like a relatively new term, the term girl boss came about long after Sex and the City had even ended as a show and a movie franchise. I think that the idea of like a woman like trying to be super successful in her career um, or achieving a lot of success in her career and making a lot of money, having a comfortable lifestyle, dressing really cute, having lots of like fun and cute romances and like hanging out and brunching with her friends. Those are a lot of, I think, like the aesthetic and storyline components of Girl Boss in the City shows. But I think on a deeper level, they're more specifically like a strain of mm. a genre of women's programming that to me began really with sex in the city. Um, I think it features like women who are usually Gen X or later. I think those shows do really well and have captured the attention of a lot of Gen X women and millennial women. Um, And I think it's kind of a product of this idea that I think Gen X and millennial women and probably even Gen Z women were raised with, which is that we can have it all, all Mm -hmm. being the relationship, the sex, the romance, the money um, and or career, the friendships, the kids, the house, the whole thing. Um, I think like there's a lot of feminism that was very much about like, You know, maybe it's a quote unquote man's world, but you can still have all of the feminine trappings that Mm -hmm. um, are traditional. Um, Like you can kind of blend that sort of like career minded 
part of yourself with the like traditional part of yourself, assuming those exist in everybody, right? The shows are supposed to be focused. They're usually the action is centered on the women's friendships, but also there's a lot of talk and featuring of their love lives as well. So I think there's a pretty long history of like shows that have elements of Mm -hmm. these shows, like uh, Living Single, Mary Tyler Moore, Golden Girls. But I think that Sex in the City to me is the show that really was like the synthesizing of all of those things together Mm -hmm. um, in a way that felt unique and I think in a way that has kind of affected all women's programming that's come after it. I'm glad you said that because I have to, I I think in giving background to like my relationship to these shows, like I have to talk about how I show up to this conversation. Yeah, I would love, yes, how you can, because I I know you're not, well, by some measures, you really are a girl boss in the city. But I'm trying to have it all. Some, I, like, some I don't might know say. If, how successfully. <laughs> for those who might not know, I I, I am a uh, cisgender heterosexual man, mm-hmm. uh, and this feels important to like frame in this context. All right, because like <laughs> you know, I think one, these shows aren't necessarily like this. This genre of television isn't marketed to men very well, uh, as most women's programming is marketed to me at all or very well. So, you know, like growing up, I grew up in a household with, uh, my mom and my sister and they controlled, you know, the TV. And so some of this stuff was in the background, obviously like I watched Mm -hmm. living single, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the like sex in the city until maybe last year, I had seen probably maybe six episodes of the show. Really? Yeah. Really? And like, hmm. like a, a couple of them I've seen twice. Cause like, if it was on, I was like, oh, I remember this. And like, I'll watch, yeah. watch it. It's not where, where it is for you. <laughs> it's very different <laughs> in terms of how my you relationship. You didn't start did. watching it at 13 and no. then keep it up weekly after that. <laughs> not at all. Uh, and you know, so like a lot of that type of stuff, I think I was a bit distant from. And I think Insecure, if that, that counts, right? In this mm-hmm, genre, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think was probably the first one I've like, loved and then 2020 i think when everybody's watching everything my wife and i she also really loves this genre uh mm-hmm. and her obsession is kind of golden girls and mary tyler moore mm. all right right and so Good shows. I, i've actually the the past two years i've been diving into this genre and you know i i appreciate it for the familiarity that i have from like watching tv and watching the tv that my mom and my sister liked and i've also come to really enjoy it too like uh for what's worth mary tyler moore is really good I it, highly, good. highly recommend going back to it. A great ensemble sitcom comedy, pretty much perfect. But that's the thing. You root Sex in the City as kind of like almost like a fulcrum in this genre. Like, yes. it seems like after Sex in the City, everything changed. Yes. So like, I remember watching, vaguely watching six episodes over like my life. Uh, but I was like, I kind of need to go back to that. And because you, you kind of been talking about this for a little bit of a while. And so I was like, let yeah. me go back and watch Sex in the City. And like, no shade. I, I'm a firm believer in don't yuck somebody's yum. Yeah. I did not realize that the show is kind of bad. Like, not, not necessarily bad as in like... It, it's like, there's... Uh, I Keep going, because okay. I don't think you're wrong. Yeah. So I'm not, <laughs> but I'm not saying, I'm not saying, but there's nuance. There's nuance. True, true, fair, fair. But it's just when I hear the word prestige uh-huh. with television, now it conjures to mind a certain level of like overall quality. 
you know, I, I went back and I just was a little shocked at like how rough around the edges things were. Now, mind you, this was a transitional time in TV in, in, in general. Uh, we had just really started making single cam comedies and, you know, like even cable was new, you know, but I was still like, oh, this is, I, I maybe was expecting not necessarily mad men in tone, but like, and like oh, Eric, the way people talk Eric, about what? it, the way you talk about no, sex in the city is, is like, is, I will talk about the way that I talk about sex in the city, <laughs> uh, but keep going. Keep going All right. So I'm like, good. my expectations were really, really high. And so like, I'm watching sex in the city with. You know, my wife, Jasmine, I just keep looking over her like, are we watching the same thing? Did you and watch the, well, did you start with the first season? I started with the first season. And that's where you messed up. The first season is not good. Okay. Go I didn't get through it. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Seasons three and four are like, three, four, part of five, but three and four are like, that's where the juices really come together. But go ahead. Okay. So when I had that realization, I was like, oh, this is weird. Am I wrong? Like, what is, what is going on? And then I, I started to watch more of kind of the rest of the genre. And I think it's very clear when you say like things are different after Sex and the City. I get that because I have watched mm -hmm. Insecure. Yeah. I've watched Harlem, which I'm sure we'll come to. I hope we come to. Yes. Run the world. But I, I think the issue that I, the issue that I had is like, I don't know. I wondered, have these shows learned the wrong lessons from the genre because I just feel like it was progressive in ways but also very regressive in ways and I think yeah. also coming back to that tension was weird having set in like this is a genre I want to like like a lot if that yeah. makes any sense like I I'm into it it's fun but there are some things that make it kind of hard and I don't know if that's like just because I'm a man I don't know if that's because some of the shows could maybe be a little better. That could also um, be part of it. There's something you said that has helped me a lot, which is why I'm excited to talk more about this. Oh. So you said to me the other day, you have to approach watching the shows as, as you watch genre television. And so yes. uh, for me, that's like sci-fi, comic book mm -hmm. shows, or, you know, like um, horror. You know, like yeah. there are a lot of things where, there are a lot of like those genres where a lot of the stuff is kind of rough around the edges, but you're just kind of there for the, the fun and to see how, people play along the tropes. The worlds that these shows take place in have very specific properties. That's what I think about when I think of a genre. I think of it does like, what are the specific properties? That's all a genre tells you is what to expect when you're watching. And I think that a lot of times Girl Boss and the City shows are taken as full on, like, like the totality of women's programming yeah. or shows that are aimed at women. And people, I think, judge them based on the fact that they're like, oh, this is just what women like. This is just mm -hmm. women's programming. Once I heard you say that, some things clicked in mm. that, like, I was able to, I think, for, forgive a bit more of Sex in the City, just a little bit, because yeah. I still maybe struggle <laughs> yeah. with, and just like that, the most. But after that, I was kind of in it. But I think I still specifically now only like the black That's ones. good, but though. But I, I engage it with very complicated feelings. Yeah. Uh, and I guess I'm curious, like, how you think about this part of the evolution where, like, as you, to your point, for a long time, it feels like we might be able to sneak a black, uh, like, you know, female ensemble sitcom in there <laughs> that's in this genre. But, like, now it feels like we're getting pretty consistent stream of iterations uh, you know, I mean, on this. It's interesting. There was, like, a little Twitter social media kerfluffle when Harlem a show about four Black women premiering in 2021 who are all trying to have it all, premiered a few months after Run the World, which is on mm -hmm. Stars, 
which is about four black women living in Harlem <laughs> trying to have it all in 2021. <laughs> and it shows how starved audiences are. White people do not sit around thinking about the fact that every show with white men on it is the same. <laughs> <laughs> they would never, ever, ever sit down to think about that. So many shows with white men on them have pretty much the same premise. But um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, is that I've seen, I think, every episode of both of them. And I enjoy watching them. And I think that especially Harlem, like in the last few episodes, really picked up some steam. And I could really start to see the chemistry developing between the actresses. And mm-hmm. um, they were trying to reach for some deeper themes as far as like what could really be next for these characters. Like I actually felt like at the end of the first season of Harlem, like I was like, okay, you guys have given a really good setup for where the characters could go in the next season. Going back to what you said about the first season of Sex in the City. There was some narrative frames in there that didn't work. The costuming and the makeup and hair, they were still figuring it out. There was a lot of stuff going on in the first season and a half of Sex and the City that was the root of the show, but it didn't start really operating like well-oiled machinery until like the third, fourth season. So I saw the first season of Harlem and I was like, okay, like I see where this could go and I'm excited about it. But even still, there's some elements about how Black women occupy that genre and how we try to fit in or or do fit into that genre that still feel like, I don't know, I still have some big questions around there. Like, Same. basically, the premise is that, like, the girl boss genre is all about, you know, showing women, female characters who have it all. Then, like, it feels like the contemporary, black, like, the Black girl boss shows like the shows themselves are trying to have it all. They're trying to have, yeah. you know, all of the romance. They're trying to have woke politics as they, you know, because you know, there's black women on screen and so they have to address these things. Yeah. And also a lot of the wealth fantasies that are present in these shows where these women are having this career, like if they're not rich, they're having career success that doesn't make sense for the character, like Carrie Bradshaw. Yeah. But Carrie Bradshaw is lazy. Why did she, why was she a best-selling author? Make that mm. make sense. Why was she a millionaire? Why was she buying Prada in the store? It didn't make sense. And... They're trying to blend all of these things. And I think that in some ways, even if the shows themselves are fun to watch, on a deeper level, the shows or like the goals of the shows are not quite hitting the mark in a few major ways. I think one of those, one of the biggest ways has to do with the wealth fantasies. Like, Like the money is, it doesn't, the money doesn't add up on screen. Absolutely. And like the thing that like is confusing about that is like, it just feels so bizarre. Like, and actually, I think Insecure, which I, which I actually is, in my opinion, one of the better iterations of this, of the genre as a whole, towards the end of the series run, you know, Issa has a, she has a business. She's like hosted a few like big events. It seems like the block is moving, but she is dressed mm-hmm. in clothing. Like, I remember, I think I did like Google, I think people were talking about like a, some sweatshirt she wore. That was like a thousand dollars, and it was just like an embroidered sweatshirt. It was like a thousand dollars, and I was just like, "I'm doing pretty well." I, you know me; I love a sweatshirt. I have not gotten to a thousand dollars sweatshirt, and before. you're not afraid to spend on clothing either. Correct. You're not afraid to spend on clothing, but I think a thousand dollars for a sweater is a bridge too far for you. A sweatshirt it is it not woven? Is it not cashmere? <laughs> is it not wool? Thank you. And and like those aspirations are also just kind of jarring because it also feels like right now. So like and specifically, I'm talking about like a like a run the world, like a Harlem, you know, maybe even like this mm-hmm. is different. So we don't have to go deep into that. But uh, it's but it's similar. I didn't bring it. You brought just for the record. I just want to say it is out there because somebody going to somebody <laughs> gonna tweet us. But, you know, like in these shows, they have a level of wealth that doesn't match the level of aspiration they have. 
And it's also just weird because we're at a point right now where I feel like black women who are actually this age are also like challenging this system a little bit more yeah, than yeah. like usual. And so it's just weird to have mm-hmm. like this like lifestyle that I'm just like, wow, this does look great. I never had this in my 20s and I was doing all right. Uh, I, and I, <laughs> even in my 30s now, I'm like, it still feels kind of weird. It just, it doesn't, it keeps me from like, being able to identify, I feel like a lot of these shows, I'm supposed to be able to identify, not necessarily see myself, you yeah. know, as like one of these black women, I'm supposed to be able to identify where they are in life. And I don't recognize a lot of this life or the people I know who maybe are kind of like that are not fun. <laughs> like, it, I, I feel like we get these, yeah, like kind of suck you know so it's just like it's weird to me to see like like the aspiration of it i I think it's strange it feels like it's communicating that we should be shooting for a thing that we are also at the same Mm -hmm. time saying like is failing us and like the thing that strikes me as like most kind of toxic about it is it feels like this is one of the lessons that they've learned like maybe the most from like a sex in the city because i feel like Mm. all like this the aspiration of kind of all these levels having the fashion you know be like uh just like all designer you know all this stuff it feels rooted in kind of what maybe was more accessible to frankly white women it feels like this very kind of uh like white capitalist like hetero you know heteronormative like exploration of what having it all could be and that's just it's just strange because i feel like when i hear black women talk about having it all it's a lot more complex and not as rooted in luxury girl shit yeah i also think there's like a total huge conversation right now about like the luxury aesthetic and black girl luxury that is very complicated that we're not going to touch that right now but i do think that (laughs) this is the thing I've been watching Sex and the City since I was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm 34 now. That is 21 years, wow. right? Yeah. And I also used to watch Girlfriends back when I was younger. And I watched, you know, all like all of these different shows. And in between, I watched Younger and I watched every mm-hmm. episode of The Bold Type. Yes, I even got my fiance <laughs> to The Bold Type. He, he, got, he really got into The Bold Type with me. He was invested in these girls. I think like The Bold Type obviously engaged a lot of fantasy. I think that um, Younger had really good costume design. So even if the girls on the show were wearing designer, it was styled in such a way that it was like, oh, this is just, this seems right for the character. You're not Mm -hmm. always clocking that it's like this really fancy designer outfit. Yeah. And I I think that uh, sometimes now, I think because of Instagram and because of celebrity stylists and, you know, all of these things going on and like the black shows want to support black designers, I which I do like, like, trust me. But I don't know. I feel like in the Instagram age where regular people are kind of expected, not necessarily to repeat outfits, then like it's up to the ante for television in a way that feels even more ridiculous. Like when I watch it, I'm just like, like you were in a Valentino dress to drinks. Like it doesn't yeah. make any, like it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And then it also, I think like on Sex in the City, something that I did appreciate that they did was set up the fact that like Carrie, like in the first or second season, Carrie's credit card gets cut up in the store in her face. Wow. She ends up I think having that's actually seven... one of the episodes I saw. <laughs> Funny enough. Exactly. Yeah. Like her credit card gets cut up in her face. At one point, it's found that she has like $700 in her checking account. She has 
um, no savings. Uh, right. And then I'm kind of like, even though the, her salary as a weekly columnist, she probably would be making like 25K a year, especially at that time, maybe less. Um, hmm. Her salary as a weekly columnist did not match up with her fashion. But I'm like, oh, this is a person with a shit ton of credit card debt and zero savings mm-hmm. and rich boyfriends. So I'm like, I guess I could see how it works together. But even like if you take her character out of it, all the other characters for the most part either married rich or had actually had high paying jobs. But that also makes me think of girlfriends. Like one of the things that I thought was so great about girlfriends, on girlfriends, you had between the four main characters, a graduate student, somebody who was an administrative assistant who eventually became like a self-published author. And you had like like a character like Joan who came from money and was a corporate lawyer yeah. and a high earner. And they used Tracy Ellis's real wardrobe. And it kind of reflected like what a young black woman with money would wear at the time. Um, a lot of it felt really realistic where sometimes like, I love, well, I enjoy really watching the, you know, styling costume design on these shows. Now that I'm actually the character's age, now that I'm actually the character's age, I'll be watching these shows and I'm like, girl, I make decent money. Okay. I can't lie. I'm not going to sit here and lie to people because I don't like when people do that. I don't like people are like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, I actually make pretty good money. I'm not going to lie to you. And I have for about six or seven years. Before then, was I, had I ever made above yeah. like $39,000? No. And- the kind of homes and apartments they have these girls in, the neighborhoods they have them living in. And maybe, okay, maybe like, I, I still don't think I could afford to live in a place like that, but let's say I could. Let's say I put all my money toward that. I'm also not going to be eating out with my friends three times a week. I'm mm-hmm. also not going to be buying all designer clothes and getting new fucking wigs all the time because wigs are not cheap and those girls' wigs are pretty. So it, it like, <laughs> does it- well. <laughs> and it's told very well on a, like, a bi-weekly basis. So it's like, now that I'm actually the age of the characters- I'm watching and I'm like, how, like, I, like, they ha- these girls have to, I mean, on some level to live the way that they do, a lot of these women have to be making like 600, 700K. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? 400, yeah. 500K. They really no, do. No, I was just going to say it's one of the reasons why actually one of the shows that I kind of like that feels like it's in this genre, but I think it does just a lot better job of everything. Uh, and I haven't uh-huh. seen all of it, but like 20s. Yeah. I just, I like just showed up to that show. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I thought that was kind of most awesome about it is it it feels very accurate for where they are. Like, you know, you have your lead character, Hattie, who is, you know, Mm -hmm. not, every frame, she's a hot mess. And uh, is like living (laughs) on couches and, you know, gets put out in like the first episode. Even they frame like her clothing. It Like they describe as a lot of it is like kind of vintage. Some of it is like, you know, like premium vintage. She got a lot of like really fly uh, Whitney Houston stuff. But you can think about like having to accumulate that over time. You know, like it just kind of introduces that. The other characters who are supposed to be doing even a little better, they talk about money in a way that doesn't make it seem like they don't care about it. Like they go... They will like buy her an outfit and they're like, all right, we're going to have to split this. Can you take the jeans? Because they're more expensive. You know, exactly. It just feels more true to life. But the thing I want these shows to learn is like, as we grow older, that needs to stay the same. Like people start doing better, but like everybody is not out here. Like you said, with a like $700,000 yearly salary solo, you know, (laughs) like. You brought up another good point in terms of like the woke politics, but like connected to that, like just like how blackness pops into these shows in some cases, like Mm -hmm. like the things we think of as kind of like 
a part of the culture. Let's say Harlem. And Harlem oh, Fort Worth is yeah. one of my favorite iterations. Uh, it's of, fun. Of it's really, it, it's, it, it, it really it landed in a really good place, I think, at the end of the, at the, end of the first season. Yeah, it's really, really fun. But you have Megan Good, who kind of is like living very well for an adjunct professor, uh, we have to say. Uh, Part-time professor. Probably not insured. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry. She, I mean, this, she this that money somewhere years. else. But in addition to that, it has to be shown how she is protesting gentrification or she gives these like kind of monologues about African tribes that, the, that like, you know, how they embrace like matriarchal societies and things like that. And it just like feels very forced there's just this like mm-hmm. there's like blackness is almost like written in like last <laughs> and, and it's no shade again like i said i like harlem but in a lot of these shows it feels like they write the plot script and then they go back and kind of like sometimes like pepper in pepper in the things to like make black people realize it's for them and i don't i, I want to give some credit to like a few of the shows that i feel like actually kind of like don't do this like insecure i actually thought was really really great at yeah. this there's mm-hmm. a scene you know they actually do this a couple of times where you know if molly and isa got into a fight uh you know i think one of them would show up to the other's house with snacks and like i remember one of the times one of the bags of snacks i think was flaming hot cheetos yeah you're talking to me there you know <laughs> like i know that yeah. is for me it doesn't have to be like some of the shows it feels like they're saying like hey girl you've had a long day come here let me grease your scalp that's one of the ways that we show black women self-care and i know that you would appreciate that because it's so hard out here you're the mule of the earth come here and let me put this jail in your head like (laughs) the shit just kind of feels a little distant and i don't know again this is where like i don't know if this because i am a black man but Uh this are you having these same feelings watching this? I mean, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I feel like it's a little ham-fisted. But something that I do wonder, you know, you and I have had a taste, a taste, a taste of vapor of having worked in television. And one of the things <laughs> yeah. that I found to be remarkable when we were in the process specifically of pitching, we did, literally did a show Black Culture about Black culture. And we're like, yeah, we've been able to make a successful podcast for years without explaining things to people. Um, <laughs> it's fine. They'll They'll get it. And it was like, at every turn, you remember, at yeah, every turn, people had an explanation for everything. A part of me wonders, is it network notes? I think a mm. part of it very well could be network notes. And I think another part of it could be, I think that the main character on Harlem being an anthropologist does a lot of that stuff. I also have a feeling that like, the first season of Sex and the City used to do these weird cutaways where they would like like these monta- like man on the street montages mm-hmm. where it would be like Carrie as like a sexual sexual anthropologist would be like walking the streets a- asking people questions right. and they were I so remember, corny yeah. and they were bad bad. <laughs> I'm glad bad. they let so that got go. Rid of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They got rid of them. I think halfway through the second season. I think that that Harlem works well without the anthropological framings and also yeah. some of them. I'm not gonna lie. Some of the um, especially in the first episode where there's like this whole. I don't, I don't know if there was indigenous women or if they were Asian, but I was, I can't remember which country it was, but there was like this whole uh, framing about this matriarchal society. Yeah. And then like there were these women that were dressed up in traditional dress, but like for what, for this tribe. And then like one of them shows up like as an apparition and the main character Camille's apartment. And it's just like, yeah, very it felt a little, same story vibes. Yeah. It felt a little appropriative, and I think oh, that yeah. there's going to have to come a point where they're going to... It felt pretty appropriative to me, and I, I think the show doesn't need it, and I think that they probably at some point will get rid of it. But yeah, 
I think sometimes there's this idea that you have to educate white people who may not be familiar with the wor- with your world. Mm. So it's like you have to be like Spellman, aka you yeah. know, Soul Food Thursday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ida B. Wells, and like people want to bring it up a lot. To that point, they're kind of speaking to the diversity of topics that are kind of shown on these shows. Like the, the shows position themselves. And I think this is the case with a lot of these shows. They position themselves as being about friendships. But often a lot of times their interactions and their plot lines kind of seem to boil down to their love lives. Like I think the mm-hmm. shows still center on relationships and the main characters are still trying to find love. I love Insecure. But you know, in the last episode, I was sad that Issa ended up with Lawrence because yeah. um, I didn't feel like Lawrence as a character had earned it. I don't mean to say that like it couldn't have worked. I just felt like I didn't see enough of them together to warrant them getting together in the end. But like they, these shows are always like, I think that it's interesting that the audience as well as the writers still wanted that happy ending um, to kind of tie things up neatly with the bow. And like these shows are always focused on relationships with men. And I mean, I'm not gonna lie. A lot of women do be focused on men. That's true. That's true. That's true. I've been there. Fair, fair point. I've been there. But also, um, I think that like there's so much more to black women's relationships to each other. Um, or and even I don't even think this is like a black girl boss thing. I think this is just like a girl boss in the city thing, period. There's so much more to I think women's relationships to each other than just talking about men. A lot of women don't even like men. <laughs> a lot of men don't Sexually, like women. romantically, yeah. socially. <laughs> They don't come up all the time. Goes both ways. (laughs) No, I think that's actually speaks to kind of one of the things that I think I I struggle with kind of as well. Like just because, so how the shows are described often, they're about the friendships. And Mm -hmm. so I guess like when I actually see the friendships, there are things that feel familiar, but they also feel kind of like... I don't know, just like distant. I feel like I feel like mm. female friendships are often they're just a mm-hmm. little more like nuanced and complex. Like there, sure, there's a lot of talk about like you know your love life. I was boy crazy. I was. You talked about dating a lot, but we also talked about a lot of other stuff. There are a lot of things that that like we engage, and I've heard you engage, you know, with um, the other women in our friend group that mm-hmm. make me feel kind of like. Almost like it makes me feel like annoyed by the uh, (laughs) by the like relationship aspect of it, because some of the actual best moments occur between the women. The best scenes in Insecure are with Molly and Issa. There's some there's good stuff that happens with, you know, uh, like each individual character and their love interest. Sure. But, like, the best stuff was with them. There was nothing like when they almost came to blows. Like, when they really yes. had it out, that was a moment. Um, and it rang harder for me than a lot of the stuff that, like, well, you know, than, uh, than Lawrence, you know, Lawrence? Uh, having to tell Issa that, like, you know, Condola is pregnant and, like, all this other stuff. Yeah. It, it, just, it, it just often feels like a, a bit of a distraction from the thing that the like shows actually want to highlight, like it, these show, like the shows are about female friendships and life, and obviously mm-hmm. love is a big part of that. But mm-hmm. I feel like part of the excitement for being able to see black women in this context is being able to see those friendships. I think a bit more clearly. I do want to like touch on the fact that like something that I would like to see more of when I watch these shows, like 
these women are in their mid-30s, I think, or they're supposed to be. I'm in my mid-30s, finally. And the things that I'm talking about with my friends who are in all sorts of relationships or having children or don't or whatever, we're talking about polyamory. We're talking about how to keep a long-term relationship working. Uh, We're talking about um, infertility and the stress and pain of going through pregnancy loss and IVF cycles that don't work and all that stuff like that. And what happens after parenthood? What happens to you? Not just what happens to your relationship, what happens to you? Uh, And also being afraid of motherhood or being afraid of being a parent because you're worried about what you're going to lose of the life that you have now. Those are the conversations that I'm having with my friends. And I wish that I saw a little bit more of that reflected in some of these series because like, even though those are topics that all touch on relationships, they're deeper than just, does he like me? Are we going to get together? Or am I going to live happily ever after? They're a lot, lot deeper than that. Yeah. In real life, most people are not friends with people who have their exact same job, make their exact same amount of money. There are class conflicts. There's colorism conflicts. There is, there's political belief. There's so many different ways in which Black women like have conflict. There's just so many other things that we talk about in real life that don't always make it onto these shows. And I also like what the shows that we're talking about, a lot of them only have one or two seasons out. So I think that there's also still like a lot of room and it's not like Insecure necessarily covered all these either. If you remember, nobody Insecure sucks dick, supposedly, (laughs) except Tiffany. And also nobody on Insecure would date a bisexual man, Mm. which they actually have already done on Harlem. So, um, but yeah, I, I just would like to see a little bit more like, I don't know, those conversations allow for a deeper level of connection and a deeper level of exploration of you as a person. And by extension, if you put that on TV, it gives a character more depth. And um, it just seems like an opportunity that these shows should really pounce on. Like it's those conversations that really, I think, bind your friendships together and keep them together over time, knowing that you can kind of have a safe place to not just talk about, does this guy like me or not, you know, but like, if I have kids, is my life going to fall apart? Like, how am I feeling about my postpartum depression? It's just, I'd like to see a little bit of that, more of that real life stuff in there. I know it sounds like we are dogpiling on these shows, and we really aren't. I, before it's I like a lot of them. Uh, we mm-hmm. enjoy these shows quite a bit, but there's, you know, there's always some room for growth. And we'll get into that and some of the things that get right, right after the break. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. 
You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. Oh, we can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona, la vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Valid one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 123124. Excludes tax, must update rewards. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about girl boss shows, and specifically black girl boss shows. Mm-hmm. And we want better. <laughs> We do want better. We do want better. But also, like, you know, there's this question that I have been thinking of. Like, um, in many ways, I do want better from the genre as a whole. Um, and, of course, I'm biased toward Black women. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have spent a lot of time thinking about these shows critically. And especially when it comes to trying to get things more ideologically diverse or Mm -hmm. by questioning a lot of the wealth fantasies. But like, I don't know if we always expect this from the white girl boss shows. Like, I mean, obviously Sex and the City did get some pushback about um, like how fantastical (laughs) the budgets were for these girls on the show. But even that, I think that was really a first. Like since then, you don't see Younger or The Bold Type or any of these other shows getting pushed back on like the sort of wealth fantasies that they feature on their show. It's kind of like a fixed part of the genre. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder like, you know, with all the critique that, you know, that we, not just us, but like a lot of audiences give to these black girl boss shows like that maybe aren't getting to the white girl boss shows. Like, should we expect more from from the black girl boss shows? Like, does it seem to you like maybe we're expecting more from those shows than from the genre as a whole? That's a really good question. I think that, I think it's complicated, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to give a like definitive yes or no. I think a part of it is yes. I think that we are, and like, you know, I absolutely hold Black art to a different standard than I hold, uh, you know, art made by mm. other people. Um, especially if I'm trying to see myself in it. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. that aspect that I think is okay. Um, mm-hmm. But I can see where, like, a lot of shows do feel like they almost get, like, dogpiled on in a way that can feel a little bad. Like, Harlem got a, a little bit of kind of flack in in the beginning. Like, people were kind of yeah. making fun of it a bit. To your point, it found its way in the middle. And I think a lot of people have maybe had so much fun in, like, the making fun that, you yeah. know, it, it might have turned some folks off. Actually, it pops up a lot. How we support mm-hmm. and what should we support in, when it comes to yeah. black art? I don't think it's wrong for us to challenge, especially if I'm still watching. You're getting my view. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, and I'm, talk, and yeah. I'm talking about the show. I want people to watch Harlem. I want people to watch Run the World. I just think that they have a latent power that they're not like tapping into, you know? Because I do think that there's a bit of a range. Like, you know, we haven't gone in depth on sisters, you know? And there haven't gone in they, depth on sisters. Do you want to? No, no, no. <laughs> but I'm just saying that like there I do think there is a range. And appreciating the genre, I do think we have to hold it a bit accountable. But sometimes it feels like how how we talk about this stuff is like we actually don't don't want it. And I think that is mm. 
And that's, I think that's like, it's a hard, it's a hard dynamic to fix because I think we're so used to not criticizing anything, you know, because we're so afraid. Or if we do criticize something, we have to couch it. And I think that's unfair to all of us. We can like some and still want them to do it kind of different. And so, I don't know, I, when I watch the, the white girl boss shows, unless it's like a Mm -hmm. Mary Tyler Moore and Golden Girls, which I actually feel like they got a lot right shockingly amount like a shocking yeah, this is a good amount, show right but They're classics uh, for a reason yeah but the the newer iterations of this genre i kind of don't really like that much at all i i hate watch and just like that um there are some things that are, are cool <laughs> about it uh karen Pittman, shout out to you i think you're know, holding it yeah. down but i am Whoopi uh-huh. goldberg in harlem i <laughs> okay for y'all to understand Whoopi goldberg plays the main characters, the adjunct professor, Miss, I have a full floor in a brownstone in Harlem, probably below 135th, and I teach at Columbia as an adjunct professor, and I'm probably paying $600 a month in insurance because I would know because I paid $600 a month in insurance last year, and that's how much it costs in the open market in New York State. <laughs> and somehow she's also wearing designer clothes and has her hair freshly done all the time. And Whoopi Goldberg is her advisor, and she's like, girl, you need to level up. She's constantly <laughs> giving her shit. She's basically like, you're vapid. Like, you know, she might as well say it outright. She's like, you're like, yeah. you're, she's like, your work could be better. Your presentation could be better. She's challenging her. And this is actually one of the hmm. plot lines I really loved on that show. She's challenging yeah. her because she knows there's a standard that she could be hitting. And I'm not saying twice as good. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. You're not, you're trying to be Olivia Pope's father? I'm not, you're not trying Joe Morton in this to moment? be Joe Morton, point my finger at Kerry Washington. But what I am saying is I think that, like, I don't necessarily want them to be twice as good as the white shows. I just want them to be as good as they can be. I want to talk about it in that way. And so that's why I appreciate that question. Because, like, if, you know, if people, sometimes what people hear is they don't hear the love. And, like, the no. love is there. But sometimes you got to, like, you know, even with a kid, you you love your kid. But you got to give them some boundaries. You got to challenge them to do better. Mm. Mm. I think that I, I agree. I think that it's complicated. I do agree a hundred percent that it's very hard to critique black art in public unless it is uniformly actually bad. I think a lot of times because like of social media, anybody can share their opinion, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like uh, some there's some really good critique in there, but there's also some stuff that's just like kind of baseless, and there's also some stuff that's just like people being hateful. But it makes it so that like there's not really a real place to critique. And then also there are creators who get butt hurt publicly anytime anybody does anything but love, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but offer just total praise for what they're making. Yeah. And I can understand like, you know, I, people do not clock what I'm doing that much anymore. But <laughs> every once in a while, you know, you see yourself catch a few strays. And mm-hmm. sometimes like I would read stuff and I would be like, okay, well, uh, whatever, this person just doesn't like me or they hate me or whatever. And sometimes I would read stuff and I would be like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. That's actually a really good point. And I should actually like, this is fair. I don't know. I think that because of like how hard it is financially for black shows to come to being, let alone exist, let alone succeed for many years or for more than one year or a handful of episodes, it is, it's tricky uh, to, I think, try to toe the line with like public critique. But like for the most part, uh, and so I think that like, I don't know, it's like people only feel comfortable panning a show if they do something that's really morally reprehensible or if the show is just outright harmful or bad. (sighs) But also I do think that sometimes we 
do hold black women to unfair standards, but I also think that like culture holds black women to yeah. unfair standards of conduct and that it is hard. And so I think that like sometimes we can be critiqued a little bit more harshly than white women, than white programming, than white authors, um, and so on and so forth. A lot of the critiques that we've talked about in this episode could apply to the genre as a whole. What it means to be a woman, to be successful, to have it all, like the definitions of that have changed so much within the past five years alone, acutely have changed so much. And it kind of like leaves us wondering, like, if these shows are sort of this feminine id fantasy, right? That's what a girl boss show is. It's a heteronormative, cisgender, id fantasy. If like what success means and what that fantasy could be or what it looks like is changing so much right now, like where do we go from here? Hmm. For me, I enjoy the shows that exist now, but I think that's like, as far as like my critiques of the genre, even things that I want from those shows, maybe it's not for them to give, right? Like maybe the plot line that I want Mm-hmm. Is not supposed to fit into that show. And so um, a show that I think speaks to maybe where Gen Z might be going or like where sort of the like young woman making it in the city show could be going is a show that's actually recently canceled <laughs> that was on HBO. I don't know if you watched it, Betty? Yeah, I watched it a bit, Betty. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. The- like when I think about like having it all and being successful, making a lot of money, having security, all of those values are very Gen X and millennial. But now I think like with Gen Z and the climate crisis and them being children during the age of Trump and them being children or young adults during the pandemic, I think that their values are going to like shift a lot. And when I think about like what I want sort of from like the girl boss shows, I think that Betty actually had that. Like it was about these girls who started skateboarding. It was like four femmes, like three uh, girls and one non-binary femme. And they, it was like definitely a lot more looser in concept. Kind of slice Um, of life. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely a lot more slice of life. And as you watch the seasons, as they get deeper and deeper, especially the first season, you see like a real narrative and like stakes sort of like taking shape and you see growth in the characters. But like, it was like, they were definitely interested in like dating and relationships and sex, but they were also interested in skateboarding and them having this like passion that they shared together. But also like the show would engage feminist topics by viewing it in the macro. Like these young people were trying to carve out space for themselves in the skateboarding world, not dissimilar from how many women try to carve out space for themselves in the professional world. And they would sort of organize and lean on each other to try to make that space happen. I mean, I suppose that's like pretty politically ambitious when I think back on it, but it didn't feel that way to watch it. It felt like there was a natural story unfolding in front of me with younger people who lived out their values different than I did when I was their age. But yeah, but also too, like they were pierced and tattooed. They they were living with their parents. They aren't all like financially successful. They're a little bit younger than a lot of the people that we see on these other shows. But I don't know. Like, I felt sometimes like I identified more with the characters on Betty than I did on Insecure, truthfully. Hmm. And I'm living a similar lifestyle to the characters on Insecure. Truthfully, the girls on Insecure, if I had gone to college with them, or even not, those girls, they would not have been my friends. (laughs) (laughs) They would have been my friends back then. They wouldn't be my friends now. Not even like I would be there. They wouldn't be my friend. Not even Maybe now because I have... What's that? Not even Issa or Kelly? Maybe Issa. But uh, what's the other girl's name? Tiffany. Tiffany, no, Kelly. no, no, no. Tiffany, not fucking with you. Tiffany, definitely not. Kelly, probably not. And Molly? No. For None sure. None of those no, girls would have been yeah. my friend. They would have been like, oh my God, this girl over here, she don't have it together. She's wearing a <laughs> bra. 
she <laughs> did she get up like did she shower before work today? I identified a little bit more with the characters on Betty than I did with Insecure. Maybe it's because they're younger, but I think also just like there was because there was less investment in this like we have it all together kind of fantasy. Like the show felt like it was a lot more organically about like just what it is like to be a young femme now. And like I love Insecure, I love that show, and I enjoyed it a lot. And there's a lot of things that I did identify with in that show. But character-wise, I think like what's going to be next is a show that's like Betty. And I would love to see a show like Betty. I was talking to somebody about this online, Steph Watts. We were DMing about this. Uh, shout out Steph a couple weeks ago. But like, I would love to see a show like Betty with black femmes my age because that to me would actually make a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. Like people who didn't have it all together because right now that's just not <laughs> it's not realistic yeah but i don't know uh, what do you want to see what do you want to see eric from the girl boss shows what are you hoping for i want to preface with like they don't have to take my advice <laughs> but uh, just in terms <laughs> of like you know where i sit in relationship to these shows but i do enjoy them a lot i think you know i want a lot more of kind of what you said i think just a little bit more subtlety in terms of how they blend blackness and i think there's a lot more that could be like beautiful subtext as opposed to like needing to be made explicit. Um, mm. You know, and I think stuff like that, I, I appreciate, I appreciate it about Insecure. And I think that like a lot of the other shows could, could kind of learn from that. I kind of want like a deeper exploration of different relationship dynamics. Like you touched on polyamory, but like even folks who like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 35 and I co-parent, you know, I'm like, yeah, and like, you know, like that is a part of that like relationship. And that's not, you know, that's not that unique uh, for someone my age. I think Mm -hmm. even things like that, like more, just more difference. We are so varied. And I think that like hewing to these character arcs, these character uh, archetypes, Mm -hmm. you know, like Sex and the City, Mm -hmm. like hurts a little bit of the ability to make the difference because it was rooted so like back so far. So I just kind of want them Mm -hmm. to try shaking it up a little more and being a little bit less intense uh, <laughs> in terms of some of the some of the plot lines. And to be honest, that's, that's a lot of it. Like in Harlem, there was a get out stage play. <laughs> that was <laughs> that, so funny. That was so funny. That was that like was one so of the funny. best things I like I have seen. It was so kind of spot on in terms of its satire and its parody. Uh-huh. I think they're hitting on a lot of stuff. I agree that like some of this might be first season jitters. I think the only thing I worry about with first season jitters, and this might, is maybe where the unfairness to black content comes in, is because mm-hmm. of the the like danger. You know, like a lot yeah. of times if you don't launch crazy strong in this environment, you're not coming back or you're not, you're not going to get to five seasons or six seasons or something mm. like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just kind of want them to tighten it up and we'll we'll be there. I mean, I'm going to be there regardless. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I 100% agree. I want to continue to see. I think at this point, both Harlem and Run the World have been renewed for second seasons, which I'm really excited about. And I'm curious to see how the characters sort of continue to grow. Yeah, because I've really enjoyed watching them. And so many actresses that I really enjoy, yeah. <laughs> like uh, Brisha Webb, who we've talked about on the <laughs> show before. She's so, so good on Run the World. And yeah, even Amber West Stevens, I think she used to be on Greek, for those of you who mm. really remember ABC Family back in the day. And she also was on The Carmichael Show. Um, and so it's been really nice to see her also leading on Run the World in addition to all the other actresses, actresses that are on both shows. It's exciting to me that like there are Black 
female showrunners and writers who have these kinds yeah. of opportunities. Like yeah. Tracy Oliver, um, you know, has been doing so much stuff over the years. And like ever since Girls Trip, I mean, since before Girls Trip, obviously, but Girls Trip is really the project that caused her star to really rise. Yeah. And it's amazing to see that she's been able to add um, a successful TV show to that stable um, that she's created. But also even like Lee Davenport, who I wasn't really familiar with before Around the World, she actually wrote a screen adaptation for um, the new Gabrielle Union movie that's coming out from Netflix, I think, this year, uh, called The Perfect Find. It's being directed mm-hmm. by Numa Perrier, who's an incredible mm-hmm. director, yeah. based off of a book written by Tia Williams. Like, it's been really nice to see how, like, these shows haven't also just been one thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. For the creator. It hasn't just been, like, they made this show, they got a season, and then that's it. So I'm really excited to see, like, how they continue to sort of expand the storytelling with that confidence in the second season that you know that you're not going to... <laughs> that you're not going to disappear. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'll be really curious to see like how Gen Z and beyond sort of takes this girl boss in the city thing and freaks it and turns yeah. it into something new. There also is one thing that I just want to say real quick. <laughs> There's a conversation that's bubbling up about like whether or not like men should have these shows. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I just want to point all of you might be clamoring for something like that to bruh. Get BT Plus. Where's where BT Plus? Pretty good. Uh, I like BT pretty good. But uh, get BT Plus. Watch bruh. You might not ask again. You know, you might just take a step. <laughs> you might take a step back. Uh, but no, I think the the guy boss in the city shows, or I don't know, but hell. There's plenty of them. Yeah. They're called power. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> power, snowfall. Uh, snowfall. You know. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple float around out there. I think. I think this is the thing. The girl boss shows. We might be looking to Golden Girls. The black guy boss shows. You know, y'all might be looking to Fifty Cent. Think about that. <laughs> think about what. What if? And what is that? What saying? if there is an argument to be made that black boy boss in the city shows actually like that? Their genesis is with Get Rich or Die Trying. Think about that. <laughs> think about that. Think about that. Sure. What if that's actually what if that's actually the case? Anyway, we gotta get out of here. We've talked about these shows so much. We wanna know which ones do you like? Are we being too mean? You know, let us know what you think. Where are the things you want to see out of this genre? You know where to find us. We are at for colored nerds on Twitter and Instagram. Yes, on Twitter and Instagram. And also if you just wanna discuss any of your favorite plot points from literally any of these shows from any season just hit me up because I've seen all of them every episode and I'm ready to chat but yeah we'll see you guys next week For Colored Nerds was created by me Eric Eddings and Brittany Luce it's supported by our production team at Stitcher including producers Alexis Williams Willis Arnold and executive producer Camille Stanley Casey Hofer is our technical director and Peter Clowney is head of content our theme music is by Willie Green And look, y'all, we love hearing from our listeners. We love y'all so much. So please connect with us and tell us what you thought of this episode. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at For Colored Nerds. And never miss an episode by following us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. 
Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.